Hello, lifers. This is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. And no, this is not Heather Drew, <laughs> but she is with me as you hear her laugh. My name is Phil Monroe. I'm a friend of Heather's and a colleague. And we thought we'd do something a little bit different today with her normal podcast. Heather's been doing this podcast for some time now, and she has a number of listeners, and many of whom do not know her except through the podcast. So I suggested to her that maybe we do a little friend-to-friend interview and ask her a few questions that might give uh, some background and some extra meaning to those who don't know you, Heather, in real life. (laughs) So welcome to your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How gracious of you to host me today. (laughs) Yeah, so this will be a little different. I'm not an expert podcaster, (laughs) but I do have some questions for you. All right. And most of these you know, and hopefully I won't uh, uh, scare you with any of them, but if I do, you can always just decide. Veto, (laughs) right. Great. So I've been watching you... Um, grow, uh, for first as a student, uh, then as a uh, fellow colleague at BTS Graduate School of Counseling, into somebody who's an LPC now, a licensed professional counselor, and we're actually recording this in your fairly recent um, private practice that you've started. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also added to your repertoire of being a yoga instructor. Um, and you're an adjunct at um, Biblical Seminary and teach counseling there. So there's lots of new work identities that you've put together in the last four or five years. Um, So I'd be curious, especially as you see seminary staff member, licensed professional counselor, yoga instructor, talk to me about these various identities. How do you see them fitting together? into the essential you, the essential Heather? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's interesting because in some ways I feel like, I didn't think this was actually possible until I realized it was by trying it. But, you know, going to graduate school for counseling was actually an experiment to see if this would actually work for me. Like if this is something that, you know, I've been informally counseling and teaching at an adult level for since 2004. So it's not like any of this is new, but this taking on these professional aspects of it was kind of an experiment to see if this would be more enjoyable or less enjoyable or more life-giving or less life-giving. And in some ways I would say it's more life-giving than not uh, to be able to do all of those things in a professional setting. Um, What's really freeing in my own journey for this has involved a lot of... uh, Actually, I remember being in your office saying this, like sort of having this realization after the year after I graduated from grad school is I I spend a lot of time during grad school kind of trying to be like those I admire in the field and people who have been doing this for a really long time, people whose books I've read and people who I've heard speak and have talked to, you know, in person. And I just remember saying like, I don't want to be this person. I want to be me. I want to do this 
as me. And that I think was probably one of the biggest breakthroughs of, um, how I can combine these three things, you know, these three things, this being a counselor, being a licensed professional counselor, um, and being an adjunct teacher, professor, and being a yoga teacher is all, all three of these things are places where I really feel I can be my best version of myself. Mm -hmm. I, where I am a 10 is presence. Like I'm very present with whoever I'm with. And these are three ways that I can really do that well. And it's, it cool. it's really cool. It's very, it's a gift actually to me. I know my students really well. I make sure I pay attention to ways they are willing to open up to me. And I try to invite them into that deeper. There goes the police. <laughs> That's, city living people um but um you know and particularly counseling i sitting with people in their stories is beyond an honor i've never had such a gift in my life i'm interested in about one particular aspect especially in all of these areas you really focus on embodiment and presence Mm. so when did you wake up to that as an important aspect of living? When it really hit me. So I started practicing yoga in 2006 and I went to studio classes weekly or something like that for a while. And then I started practicing at home on my own. And so I always kind of had an interest in not just exercise, but like, you know, being in my body and experiencing my life in my body so that I wasn't just ignoring it. Um, I was actually pregnant at the time and I didn't particularly love what was going on. (laughs) There was like a a takeover happening (laughs) in my body. So I needed to sort of reclaim something for myself, you know, that was kind of how I entered into it. But then what happened later when it really stepped up a notch for me was when I started doing trauma counseling and I was totally wiped out, I, my body was exhausted, my mind was exhausted, emotionally I was just totally wiped out. And it wasn't because necessarily what I was listening to, but it was like how I was experiencing the stories. And I, was, I had to start learning how to regulate mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. and entering in to the degree that I, you know, I needed to regulate the degree to which I was entering in, in a way that would serve my clients and me. And so that I could, you know, be responsible and keep this sustainable because I want to do this for a long time. I want to be a drama counselor for a long time. And so I had to figure out ways to check in with what was happening in me. So there's this book, I don't even remember what it was, but it was talking about like, checking in downward and then checking in upward and so checking in with the body like where do I feel sensations in my body when I'm listening to this person's story where do I feel tension how can I relax that in the moment as I'm sitting there listening and then checking up which is you know what is this making me think or feel and how can I release that and then sort of put it in a container for later and then go address that with my loved ones outside of session so that was really helpful but for me the body is not everything, but it is ignored a lot. And 
I found it very useful to incorporate it into mm-hmm. my life in a way that was like not just giving me signals of what was going on for me, but to sort of make it part of my home, you know, like me as myself. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about this recently as we often think of our bodies as the thing that allows us to be us, to do what we want to do, but it's not really, it's essential, but it's not really me. Mm -hmm. And you're describing something that says, it's not just giving me signals about me, it is me. Mm, I I wonder how being a doula, was that a birth coach, right? Yeah. Um, also shape this because obviously mm-hmm. you're being very intimate with mm-hmm. bodily uh, sensations, experiences, the birthing process. Yeah, yeah, I did do that in my before I went to grad school for counseling. That was a big part of my how I got into the trauma work. Actually, um, a lot of these women who I was helping through birth as a doula, they had been sexually abused as children. They were really fearing what was going to happen to them in birth because it was, you know, sort of involuntary pressure and pain and all this stuff that was very similar to being abused. So that was, it was interesting. And yeah, like being in someone's space and to be so wrapped up physically with someone that you don't know that well, was something (laughs) I would say, you know, yoga is not that different. Teaching yoga is not that different in the sense of, I don't have my hands all over my students, but, um, there are times in which I'm touching them in ways that I don't even touch my friends. Like I'm touching their arms and like touching their faces. <laughs> like you don't go around touching people's faces very often. And, um, it's some, it's very intimate in a lot of ways. And I think it's kind of, it's interesting because I feel like we are made for more intimacy than we get to experience in our lives. And it's kind of a tender gift to have. So anyway, yeah. Um, one more question about uh, just your professional identity before we move more into your personal. And these aren't really separate, but we're going to separate it for purposes of questions. Some people in Christian communities, and that's where you do a fair amount of ministering in and working in, would struggle with putting yoga together with Christianity. So talk to your audience who might be like, isn't that religious and isn't that about meditation to another god outside of christianity Mm -hmm. how do you how do you think about those things yes this is a long-term process for me um i don't enter into this lightly when i started yoga school i didn't enter into it lightly at all and i was very open with my teachers that I would like to process some of this stuff. And in my teacher training program, there were other people. I was not the only one asking these questions. Like, is this okay? Like, am am I like crossing a barrier that I don't want to be crossing? I don't know. It's just, but I also had to be careful not to let those messages of others get in my head too much. Like my personal way of dealing with it was to say, I have the spirit of God in me, according to (laughs) what God says is true about me. I have the Holy Spirit of God in me. And I have, because that's true, and that's truest of me beyond most things, I trust that that's going to, like, guide me in a way, like, away from something that could be very harmful. And I don't 
I have not had that mm. experience at all. And um, would you say yoga is a spiritual practice for you, not necessarily a religious practice? Would you make that distinction or no? Yeah, I would. Definitely not a religious practice. It's not a religious practice, but um, I think I would say that for me, everything is spiritual. Right. <laughs> I don't differentiate. I found this to be true, you know, probably like six or seven years ago, I started thinking a lot about there is no real division. Like, I think I There's nothing that's not spiritual. Yeah, yeah. That everything has this component to it. Everything's infused with, I mean, nature is, you can't Mm -hmm. look at nature and say, this is just matter. This is just material. This is just the manifest stuff. This is, this has something spiritual to it. And something happens to us when we look at it, which to me is spiritual. So, you know, in the same way, it's definitely a spiritual practice and it's a way for me to actually, um, mix these different worlds that I have. Cause I'm a neurobiology nerd. And so I always like reading lots of articles and research on how yoga is benefiting me neurologically mm-hmm. and it's retraining my brain waves. Like I really feel I've noticed I can stay focused so much easier. And if that's helping me be more spiritual as a person anyway, that's great. And to it definitely benefits my ability to stay present with others. So yeah, it's something. (laughs) Well, I don't know if this analogy works. Um, There's lots of things in life that we've adapted from other places that had different meaning. Um, This is a silly one, but here, you know, in the U.S., most of us have Christmas trees and people who aren't Christians have Christmas trees. It wasn't a Christian, um, originally a, a, a Christian um item Mm -hmm. but it's it's come to have other meanings and so you can do some of the same behaviors some of the same movements and have two people lined up next to each other doing the same thing for two very different reasons Mm -hmm. it has to do with what it means to you and what you're attempting to do with it yeah definitely and i would say too that um with that while that is absolutely true and that's a good analogy Also, I don't want that to cheapen the depth of its roots. Like, I mean, this goes, yoga goes way back, like before Jesus. So this is pretty old. This is a pretty old practice. And it's kind of interesting. This is super controversial. So I'm not condoning this at all, but it's just really, really interesting. I haven't done enough research about it, but there's a lot of stuff out there that talks about Jesus sort of having a lot of yogic practices like philosophically. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, he was from, he grew up in the East. We grew up in the West, like we're Westerners. (laughs) Everything we do is very Western, even yoga. So it's kind of interesting. You know, one of the things that you bring up, I think, is important just to underline. There are a lot of things that have been known by humans for a very long time, long before we developed empirical research methods. Um, And just because it doesn't come from one of those things uh, doesn't mean it's not true Mm, and not valuable. So, all right. So I I just like to poke poke at you in that a little bit. (laughs) I know you do. And maybe some people have those questions. Maybe most of the listeners have no questions about this. Like, why are you droning on about this? So let's move to something more personal. <laughs> okay. um, you're also a wife, 
a mom of two girls. Um, tell us a little bit, of, especially when you put on your mother hat and you think about that part of your identity and their futures. What excites you about their futures? What maybe worries you about their futures? Mm-hmm. We want to know what makes up your mind. In, <laughs> yeah, in this. yeah, I don't know if you really do. You say you do, but then you might change your mind. One thing that I'll start with the thing that scares me is, and this is just, I'm just being vulnerable here. Um, I remember a couple years ago in therapy, I was having, I was starting to have, I had a really hard case, a trauma case with a client. And the stories that this person told me were sort of haunting because my daughter was the same age as when her abuse, this client's abuse happened. And I started having nightmares about it and I was in therapy and I remember asking my therapist, talking to my therapist about it. And she said, this is valid and normal because nothing is hypothetical for you anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I listen to things that can't even be put in movies, you know, because it's, these are real stories that people have and I'm happy to enter into it. And it is a gift. Like I said, um, I also know that now I have increased fears that actually could happen (laughs) to my children. And, you know, there have been a couple, we live in the city and my kids are kind of free range. We kind of let them have their freedom outside. I'm always watching, but it does, you know, new questions pop into your head (laughs) that didn't new nightmares. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And also I think, you know, growing up again, if I can be honest, growing up, as a woman, as a girl in this society, I could probably do a whole podcast on this. I try to stay away from my personal opinions in these podcast episodes, but um, it's hard. It's really hard uh, to be a woman and a girl in this society, in a lot of societies. Not because we're like weak and, you know, vulnerable, but we are vulnerable to some degree. And that tends to worry me. Like, how can I empower these children to be women who don't get pushed around or abused or um, especially in a country where we've given the highest position to a person who has molested women? How do I teach my kids about this and, like, how to be powerful women? That's kind of a daunting task. <laughs> it can feel heavy it is we have such a system we were talking about narratives in a previous episode we are in such a narrative that objectifies women and and places so many pressures on them to perform yeah it must be a daunting task Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. to think about yeah yeah all right, so I have a question that I didn't tell Did you I about. Say, I didn't say the nice thing. Oh, you didn't right. say the, what excites <laughs> what you. Excite, yes, What excites me that. about them. It also excites me that actually, on all that being said, that actually my kids are, um, they're very funny, they're very creative, and this is a time when art, creativity, laughter, joy is most important. And... Um, it just excites me that they can be part of that and to watch them grow up and sort of accept them and move toward them, whoever they are, like no matter what. It excites me because uh, I get to do this thing that I ho- haven't always experienced myself. Like I, I grew up in a different era and in a different time where 
it was a little more like you have to do this and you can't do this. You know, girls can't blah, blah. Like I was this kid who was not interested in dolls or play, you know, like playing quote unquote girl things. And my kids had this opportunity to sort of be in this other space, like climbing trees and they don't even have to (laughs) engage those questions in some ways, the same way you did. Yeah. 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 It's exciting. There's some freedom there. That's cool. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So here's a question I didn't put out there because I didn't want you to um, prepare an answer. Prepare an answer. (laughs) Oh boy. This will help maybe some of your listeners uh, understand the essential Heather. So top words that come off the top of your head that describe you. Oh man. Hmm. Somebody said. Somebody said recently to me that I should write a book called The Cult of Authenticity. <laughs> uh, I think so that you're saying listens. the top word is that you're a cult? Cult leader. Yeah, cult leader. <laughs> I think authenticity tends to be a word that people think of when they think of me because, and maybe for better or for worse, you know, like I said, it can scare people when someone is authentic. And I don't mean that as like, I don't see myself as better. I just think it's good to be congruent. It's good to be the same on the outside as you are on the inside to some degree so that you have sort of an integration happening. And I I aim for that. I don't know if it's a word that I could use like fairly for myself as like, this has happened. (laughs) I've done this. I, I can check this off the list. It's something that I certainly work toward and, um, Another word that I've noticed recently too. I mean, present is another word that I used already today uh-huh. that I do feel <clears throat> that's something that probably described me well. And also, uh, I genuinely am very curious. I'm a very curious person. I don't usually let things end after a short answer. When I ask somebody a question, I usually keep asking questions or keep exploring things or I read an enormous amount of books because not because I'm a great academic, but because I just really am curious and that applies to people as well, which I think you've experienced. (laughs) Is there a negative word that you would be willing to share with us? Oh, a negative word. Oh boy. Um, well, yeah. Okay. I'll be vulnerable. I'll call myself out to vulnerability. I'll be authentic. Um, one word that has potentially has haunted me actually that has been used for me by others in the past is needy and um even as i'm talking about this i'm closing my like it this produces a lot of shame <laughs> in me i i think probably all the words that i've mentioned that are positive i guess or whatever you want to call it just now probably can the flip side of them is that word like I I do feel like a struggle I've had is to regulate my desire to connect with people in a way that you know I I really love people and I love connection like it's a big value of mine connection with people and I can overvalue 
people's opinions of me. I can overvalue, sure. you know, quality time with certain people or like sometimes it just feels like I have this bottomless nature to me where I can just spend hours on end with somebody and they're like, okay, time's up, you know? So it just, that's kind of something that I wrestle with and try to not let shame get the best of me with that, which I can. <laughs> right. Because I can imagine that that gets interpreted by others as needy when it's not necessarily coming out of the same neediness, like clingingness. Mm -hmm. I don't perceive you as clinging. Mm -hmm. I perceive you as somebody who wants to go deep. Mm -hmm. And maybe some others who are a little bit more anxious about going deep find that to be off-putting mm. because it's scary mm. to them. And so therefore they, they need somebody to blame. It yeah. must be you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, you know, if you're one of these people and you're listening to this, I would say that's some valuable work to do is to say the person's response to me wanting to go deep could easily be put on me. Mm -hmm. Like I could easily turn that on myself, but I would, I've, it's hard to say like, this is this person's reaction and I don't, I'm not responsible for that to the degree that I need to make it better. I have one last question for you and we could have a whole podcast on this. So you'll have to keep your answer short. No, <laughs> it's my <laughs> it's, podcast. It's your you talk about flourishing a lot and of course this uh, podcast is called life in the whirlwind these seem to be oxymoronic mm -hmm. so give me an idea of how you view flourishing in the midst of the whirlwind you do in your life so you know you're flourishing in the midst of the whirlwind when mm -hmm. so in recently, I'll give you the most recent example. I have found, you know, recently a lot of job things have changed for me, which you know more than most people do. And you leaving BTS has been a big adjustment. Um, my practice, my counseling practice that I used to work at closing and me starting my own practice and like having my children need me and still being a mother and having to make dinner every night, which is tedious beyond belief. That is, that's life. Like that is, that's actually what we typically call life is actually the whirlwind. It's like, it's the, the turbulent winds of, of every day. Uh, and it's emotions and it's all these things. And so I've recently, notice that it's very easy for me to get wrapped up in that. Uh, especially I feel particularly vulnerable to shame and fear and like fear of loss of other people, like people that I care about. Some of that like needing, you know what I just described, like really comes to the surface because if I feel like I'm going to lose something, I like hold on to it tightly. Like don't hold on to me was one of the episodes that I did that was really powerful for me in this podcast because that's what I, that's my reaction. And so life in the whirlwind is <clears throat> planting myself. Uh, it's, um, I literally, I mean, I, I was just telling a friend this the other day that 
I will actually sit down in a chair in my house, in my right side up room, and I will literally say, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I'll literally say to myself, this is what fear feels like. So that I can name what the wind is, like that whirlwind, and that I can try to not mistake it for life. And life is acknowledging that it's hard. And life is knowing I'm going to be okay. And life is knowing that I'm beloved and that I'm good. Like, I'm good. Um, even while you're making dinner. Even while, especially when I'm making dinner. That's the hardest time. You know, like, doing dishes is my least favorite domestic chore for lots of reasons and I have had to practice this particularly at that point because usually I'm like murmuring under my breath like I can't believe you let this dry on this dish I can't believe it. you know and it's just finding that place of acceptance and almost even like joy and gratitude Ugh, that's hard work yeah but I also you know flourishing is a word that matters to me a lot and on my front page of my website lifeinthewhirlwind.com if you go to lifeinthewhirlwind.com the home page has this whole thing that I wrote up about flourishing and one of the things I wrote in there is that flourishing is dialectical it holds many conflicting realities in the same space like I can be broken and sad and lonely and fearful and good and safe and beloved and not forgotten and all these things you know so it's sort of holding all of those things as true at the same time that's really important because i think the word flourishing for many people seems something unattainable something idyllic mm. an awful thomas kincaid painting <laughs> sorry if you like that but um something that's so unreal to never have connected with but what you're describing is there is flourishing even in the mundane, even in the dreariness of parts of life. There is that dialectic. But there are also things that are happening that are rich and joyous at the same time. And you can miss them if you only see the mm -hmm. mundane, right? And you're mm -hmm. trying to hold both of those. That's what dialectics are, holding things that seem opposite together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of yourself. I'm sure listeners have lots more questions, um, and maybe this will be something that we can do again. Mm -hmm. You often end your podcast with uh, a blessing and an invitation, and so I think it's only apropos that I combine those two things and give you a blessing and an invitation. And the invitation is to continue being your authentic self, which, of course, always is growing, never static, which holds together your anxieties and your fears and your shame, plus your courage and your strength and your competency together into your essential Heather, right? Mm -hmm. And um, to keep entering into that and allowing yourself to grow in this process um it's exciting for us to see you grow into a podcaster mm -hmm. um hear you grow into a podcaster <laughs> um 
and to take on topics that are meaningful to you and to a lot of other people around you. So keep doing that. Keep mm -hmm. entering in. And when the shame statements come or the, the fears about the future come, just encourage you to come back to the present. What is true now is all that matters. You are loved. You are loved dearly by God and by your many friends and listeners. So keep up what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. That's nice. Appreciate it. I received that. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Take great care, and I'll see you next week. Life in the Whirlwind podcast. This is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Are, Are you, you going to say it? Yeah. Okay, good. All I'll right. say, I won't say Heather Drew, but I will say this. <laughs> this uh, is I'll, Heather Drew. You can, by now, you can understand that this is not Heather Drew. <laughs>